Hey, it's Michael, and welcome to another podcast episode. Before I get into today's episode, we wanted to make an offer to you. If you go to firmsconsulting.com, you will see a pop-up or you'll see a place to add in your email address or you can register on the Firms Consulting website. If you register onto that website, you get put into an exclusive list. And what you get in that exclusive list is samples of the content we have available to FC Insiders. So that said, I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hello, this is Chris Varova. Welcome to another episode of the Strategy Skills Podcast. Before we start today's interview, let me share a cool gift with you. If you want to strengthen your strategy skills, get the overall approach used in well-managed strategy studies. Free download, go to firmsconsulting.com forward slash overall approach. It is F-I-R-M-S consulting.com forward slash overall approach. And our guest today is Samuel Moses. Samuel is the founder and CEO of Socrates Custom Socks, a 500,000 in revenue per month company based in Boca Raton, Florida, which specializes in producing high quality custom socks. Samuel, welcome. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here and uh, appreciate the introduction. Samuel, so Socrates started as a product that everyone can buy, and then you transitioned out of retail, went online and evolved it into a company that is generally B2B. It's a, such a beautiful success story, but let's start at the beginning. Maybe take us back to the early days of building the company and give us a feel of some of the challenges, some of the crucial decisions you had to make. Definitely. So we were in the retail business. Uh, we had a very high-end menswear store in downtown Toronto, servicing executives in downtown Toronto. And I noticed just by being in the store and by monitoring the uh, sales in the store that the demographic that we were selling to was a very specific demographic, executives who, uh, men who went into uh, retail stores in very specific fields, banking, insurance, law, these type of executives. Um, And I noticed, you know, in downtown Toronto, we had hundreds of thousands of people walking by and I wanted the store to be accessible to more people. And at that time, a very popular product, we were selling ties and shirts and pocket squares, these type of formal products. And at that time, 2012, 2013, around then, a very popular product that emerged were these colorful socks. So Happy Socks at the time was selling the product and they established a market where socks were no longer a two, three dollar item. They became a twelve to fifteen dollar item. So we brought them into the store. And immediately we saw success with more types of people coming into the store, you know, women, entry-level employees, all different types of people could come into the store and they would buy this product. Around that time I got married, my wife took one look at this thing and said, you're selling so many of these happy socks. You got to kind of take control of your life and you need to produce your own line of product. And at that point, we, we named the company Socrates after the philosopher Socrates and we um, decided to go to China at the time to develop our own line of socks. Okay. Um, we did, we brought it into retail. We got incredible feedback from it. It sold so well at retail. And at that time, because there were companies in downtown Toronto who would come to my store, they worked for companies. They were marketing managers. They were, uh, upper level HR people. They were all different types of jobs, uh, in the financial core. So they said to me, Hey, I'm going to a trade show, or I have an employee event, or, I have a client that I need to impress. 
can I give you my logo and colors and you brand the sock to us the same way you made the socks for your brand? Could you make it for us? And I was, you know, went back and forth and I go, yeah, I guess I can do that. And I really, really fell in love with that business because we were servicing a B2B client who have established budgets. We were only producing the items when we were selling the items versus in a retail store, you buy the items and then sell it. So it's kind of reverse, which is more advantageous for everybody. And we were giving, we were sending them the socks and we got incredible feedback about how great the socks were, but most importantly, how great of a tool the socks were in giving them away. So whether it's a trade show, drawing traffic to their trade show and and um, maximizing the ROI at the trade show with these socks to get traffic to your booth, or whether it was giving it to an employee as a gift at an event, or whether it was giving it away to their client base, they were just getting incredible feedback from the sock. So not only was it a great sock, not only was it a great clientele, it was actually a great use. Like these socks were, and they still are, very popular items. And there's reasons for that. They're very high perceived value. Everybody wears socks. They're going in the top drawer of the of your drawer. So they're right with you, you know? So nobody really throws them out. They don't throw them out. It's a high value product, right? So that's how we started. Um, we did have a lot of challenges along the way as we learned the manufacturing process. Today, we service clients all over the world, hundreds and hundreds and even thousands of clients every year around the world. Um, and there's obviously much challenges and logistical challenges with that. Um, so we've built a pretty thorough system and how to deal with that volume and how to go from, you know, zero orders a month um, to doing, you know, five, six, seven hundred thousand dollars a month in sales. It's a big difference in in the structure you need, the people you need, and the systems that you need to be able to take care of that kind of volume and to make sure, most importantly, that each client, whether they're the first client of the month or the last client of the month. They're getting the exact same high quality service that we are gunning to give them. So, so those are the challenges of, of, of the business. They're not necessarily unique to our business, but every business has that challenge as they grow. And we've done a good job internally to build systems around taking care of that client journey, I call it, from when they reach out to us to when they get their socks and beyond. So, so that's kind of like where we focus. And that's that's how we built the company and that's how how it's been going uh since we started sam and what was your process to find the manufacturer yeah so we went to china because we didn't look at italy at the time as a as a as a country that could do socks like this for these small runs they weren't set up for that well at least we didn't think they were set up for that i was already manufacturing neckties in italy and it was a very popular necktie producer uh, for many, many years. Uh, so I had a lot of experience in um, in Italy with producing neckties. Um, when, as it relates to China, we basically, you know, we started with just reaching out to uh, factories and saying, look, you know, this is how many pairs we need, uh, minimum run. This is how long we're going to need it. And the, the, the factories always come back with very high MOQs and very high prices. And through negotiation, and through giving them business, that's the key. You got to give them a lot of business for them to work with you. You know, uh, we developed really good relationships in China. Now we've pretty much left China and we produce all of our socks in Italy. How we did it in Italy was we were manufacturing neckties and these are family run businesses. They basically connect you to their other family member who does socks. And then 
Uh, now we deal with uh, a very uh, mid to large manufacturer in Italy who produces all of our socks. So in terms of your manufacturer, you are not diversifying the risk. You are relying on one manufacturer. We deal with one. We've signed this exclusivity with them. At this point in Italy, they're actually, the entire factory is running our socks given the volumes that we're producing. So uh, they are not diversifying their client base by having more clients than one. And we're not diversifying our um, risk by only having one. Um, and that comes with a lot of trust. I mean, they have to trust us because we got to keep sending the orders to them and not go to another factory because their entire operation and their entire payroll re revolves around us. And we have to trust them that they're going to stick to the timelines. And most importantly, we have to trust them. And so far it's been working out that they got to stick to the quality that we've set up. The quality of the sock is really the make it or break it. You know, the minute you start lowering your quality, even 10%, 15%, as you start to scale, that's when, you know, I, be, I believe that's the end of the road for a lot of companies where you started really great with a great product and you did really, really well with it. And the market responded in a positive way. And then you reduce the quality of the product because of, um, I call it uh, hubris, right? Like a little bit of ego, like you, you got successful and you start taking orders for granted you lower the quality, either uh, on purpose or not on purpose. You know, these things happen, but you got to stay on top of it. So our goal, make sure that every sock that comes out of the factory is the quality that we've set from the beginning, you know? Do you often have to go to Italy or get to go to Italy? Yeah, yeah, I get to go. Um, I have four little kids at home, so I don't like to talk about it with my wife too much, how hard I'm working in Italy uh, because she has to stay home. She stays home with the kids. But I get to go once a year, and it's an incredible experience. I mean, you have to picture it, right? There's a small little town in Italy, relatively small. It's called the City of Socks because traditionally that's the village where they make socks. And there's a yarn factory, very large yarn factory, the largest yarn factory in Europe. There's a bunch of sock factories. We deal with one of the bigger sock factories in, in the region. And um, they're like a family-run business. So... You know, they own the company and their father and their mother own the ran it before them and their grandparents before them. And it's like a fourth generation sock making family and everything they talk about and everything they know and everything they love revolves around the sock making process and the quality of the sock process. Um, and it's this little town and they have a certain food of the region where, you know, when you go, they they serve you the pasta from the from the area where they grow the pasta in the in the area. It's a very beautiful experience and it's a very beautiful culture. But what 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 I take out of it the most when I come home and I tell people about it and I tell the, the employees about it and I tell uh, my customers about it is they're very proud about what they're doing. It's not just a, a faceless product. They're very proud of it and they care very much about it. If there's errors, which is rare, uh, they take it personally and they want to make sure that they, they that doesn't happen again, you know, so they're very good with fixing it. We, we they take accountability for it, and we make or we make adjustments on it. Um, but what 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 makes me the most happy is see how proud they are and how much they appreciate the business that we're sending them. You know, you want to work with supplies like that who see it as a craft, they see it as art that they're creating, yeah. and you are part yeah. of creating something amazing that people really enjoy. Beautiful story. Thank you for sharing a little. Yeah. Uh, the experience what advice would you give to people who are considering to start a business and they know that they want to produce a product and they need to find suppliers what advice would you give in terms of finding suppliers and building the relationship 
I think the number one thing that I would advise when doing this process is to start small. You know, start with a small run that you can make and you can actually like see a tangible result. You know, do the sampling process to make sure that you're happy with the quality and then do a small run and then make sure that you can sell or market that small run before you start going to large scale. Uh, definitely in China, what I've noticed is that they're going to try to start high. They're going to try to sell you a lot. Um, and you have to realize these numbers, sometimes when you're not in the business, these numbers don't sound like a lot. But then when you the goods show up at your door, you realize how much they are. Like buying, let's just say you wanted to go into the wallet business, right? Buying 2,000 wallets, now you would say, though, that sounds reasonable. If I would ship you 2,000 wallets and I'd say, okay, now go try and sell it. That is an incredible amount of stock. It is hard to sell 2,000 wallets, especially when you're just beginning. You got to market it. So start with 50 wallets, 100 wallets, you know, 75 wallets. You know, start small, sell it, and then go back for more. Um, it's better to not have inventory, but 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 waiting for it with people that you've already sold, than to have tons of inventory that you can't sell. Because what happens is you get tired and frustrated, and you get nervous, and then you just won't build the business. Um, so my number one thing is to start small and to tell the factory that you're looking to partner with them in a long-term manner. And so don't just look at the one order of 75 wallets. Um, if we do well, which we're planning to do well, that's why we're we're doing this, then we're going to come back for another hundred, another hundred. And we're eventually we're going to be putting orders in for many thousands of them. So, you know, you're going to have to find that factory that trusts your vision, that has, that buys into your vision. And that is willing to work with you on small orders. I've noticed that the factories over the years have adjusted their expectations and they are willing to work with small players um, who want to get started because they know that for every five or 10 small players, one of them could be the next, you know, Bombus or, you know, the next Bonobos or the next Socrates, you know? So, uh, so you always want to, you always want to give it a chance. They're willing to give it a chance. So my advice, start slow, start small sell it, build your client base, build your marketing, build your branding, and then go big on the runs. Don't, don't be in the business of filling up warehouses with stock that you, that you have no idea how you're going to sell, you know? And especially if you will get disappointed in quality of the product, and then you yeah. sell something you don't believe in, it's just a dangerous road. And also another thing is once you start, you will start seeing things that you can improve. Yeah. The smaller quantities, you have an opportunity to improve faster. Yeah, and and you'll see which are the best sellers and what sells better and what does better, and you'll find new avenues to to market and to and new products to sell. So definitely don't get bogged down with a huge inventory load. That brings you a lot of pressure, and that pressure could take you out of the game. The goal is to stay in the game, right? Stay in business, stay doing things, trying things, stay trying to push more product and more marketing avenues. So that's that's definitely a, I'd say my advice is the best way to start. You know, I, that's what I would tell anybody. Simon, how did you manage the transition from China to Italy? Yeah, so so that was, to me, I had certain criteria. What did, I said to myself, what did I not like about producing in China? What did I not like about it? Because if I don't like, if I like everything about it, then why don't I just stay there, right? So the number one thing that I did not like about dealing with China, and there's lots of good things, but what I did not like was the 30 to 40 day turnaround times. I just felt I was coming into an industry where everybody was doing 30 to 40 days. And I felt like, I think that's too long. Like somebody's paying on day one and on day 40, I'm sending them a tracking number. That just sounds like a long time to me. 
I know in my life, in 40 days, my life looks different than 40 days before sometimes. So that's a long time to wait for something. I said, I got to get that down to five to seven days. And so the number one thing that I did was when I went to Italy was like, hey, how do we build a, um, a service where we're producing socks and shipping them in five to seven days? And we did that, which is unheard of in China. It still does not exist. And it's not possible, really, for certain reasons, which I, which I can get into. But they, they're not producing things in five to seven days. They just can't. Um, it has a lot to do with the volumes, but it also has to do with other factors. And then... Uh, what else did I like about, did not like about China? I didn't love the quality, to be honest. I just did not love it. And I wanted to go to Italy and find the better quality. So when I had the better quality and I had the speed, I knew that I would still keep some of my orders in China, people who wanted the best possible price, okay? But anybody who was willing to pay the premium price, uh, and I don't really consider it a premium price. It's a totally different product, the, the Italy product and the China product. Uh, but the let's say people who are willing to pay the higher price, then I would put them into Italy. So I created two lines. At this point, we've pretty much phased out the Made in China line because our pricing is so good out of Italy just because of shipping uh, optimization. Uh, so now pretty much everybody is going through the Made in Italy. So there was a transition period where we were doing both uh, factories. And then at this point, we've pretty much segmented it all to one factory over the years. Sam, so let's talk about shipping optimization. What would be some of the advice that you can give to people who are considering to produce a product and bring it to the United States? The first thing is to learn how the shipping is, how it works, how the costs work, how the duties work, and how those things work. For example, if I take a box of socks, which is, say, two feet by two feet by two, let's just call it 24 inches by you know 16 by 12, which is a decent-sized box, not huge but not small, if I put one sock in there, or if I fill that to the max, it's actually the same price to ship because socks are light. So you get hit on what's called dimensional weight, okay? So you have to know these things. You have to know how many socks can you get into a box or how much product can you get into a box to optimize the cost, okay? The next thing you have to know is how long the shipping is going to take because the number one thing in any business is timing. So, you know, I know from Italy to the United States to New York City is one day. So just to give you a context here, it picks it up in Italy at four o'clock Italian time and it delivers to New York City at 10 a.m. the next day. I mean, I don't think I can fly into Italy and bring it back to you faster than that to New York City. The rest of the country is two days, but Italy to the UK is one day, Italy to Germany one day. You need to know your turnaround times and you're going to need to know um, how to clear it through customs. So there's a large world in shipping that you're going to have to learn. But again, my best advice is not to try to take it all, all at once, but on a deal by deal basis. Like when you're shipping, try to learn a little bit more about customs, try to learn a little bit more about the timing, the pricing. I mean, I can't tell you how many times uh, in the early days I would just look at the bill and be like, whoa, what happened here? And it's just because the box was bigger than I thought, the socks weren't packed properly to the max. And all of a sudden, something that I thought would cost me X amount per sock is now 2X, you know? So, um, yeah, you got to know your prices. Like, it, it, in shipping, if if I ask you how much does something cost in shipping and you don't give me an immediate answer, then I don't think you know your numbers. And that's where you're losing money. You're probably losing a lot of money, right? Because if shipping is always higher than people think it is. You know, people always think shipping's cheap and shipping is obviously a very expensive part of the cost. 
in a lot of cases, the shipping might be more worth more than the product that you're sending. Okay. Like, you know, so you got to know your numbers. You have to know your numbers and you have to really dissect it. And the second thing you have to do is work on your volume because the higher volume that you have, the more discount you're getting on your shipping. I ship by air, uh, but it applies for ocean. It applies for air freight, everything like that. The more you ship, the cheaper it is. So if you could partner with another company and ship together, or you can wait to ship everything together at once, you know, this is going to be very advantageous to you. And then in terms of delivery within the United States, for example, so it comes to New York and then from there it comes to your warehouse or do you use outsourced warehouse? So what we do in our case, um, say Dell orders 3,000 pairs of socks. I know that 3,000 pairs of socks is 12 boxes. Um, I'm sending the Socrates boxes, these 12 boxes from Italy directly to Dell themselves. So we don't touch the product and we don't see the product, which makes our relationship with the factory even uh, more necessary to be very strong because they need to sample it with us through photography, through our portal. We need to approve the sample and we need to trust that the sample that they're making is the exact sample they're making 3,000 of with no deviance, you know? Um, in our business, the hardest thing is the color matching, which we have a very, very detailed system to make sure that the color matching is exact. Because as you can imagine, when McDonald's buys socks from us, I can't just be like, oh, hey, McDonald's, I changed your red. You know, like, uh, don't worry about it. I changed your red. They're going to want that exact red. So I need to make sure that the color that we're sourcing from the yarn factory is the exact red, which is one of our core advantages to our competition. So important. Yeah. And your clients are lucky to have you because you are paying attention to those things. Your clients and customers. Yeah. It's oh. the details. Those details are really important when you're dealing with customers, any customer, whether it's a B2B customer or a B2C customer. I found in the in the necktie store, like the customers were very detailed how the, how we were how we were paying attention to their details, you know. Sam, so coming back to those early days, you started introducing socks. It was selling very well. And then you introduce your own manufactured socks with your design and so on. At what point you decided, you know what, I'm just going to focus on socks? On the custom socks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So at that what happened was in our case, um, and this happens to a lot of businesses, there was, um, there was a, a tragedy in our business. That's not what happens to a lot of businesses. We had a flood in our business. Uh, but what happens to a lot of businesses is they come to a fork in the road, right? And they have to make a decision. So you're doing really great in retail. You're doing really great in custom socks. Um, but you have to make a decision which way do you want to focus your energy and prioritize which direction you want to go. To us, I saw the orders coming in from all over the world through our website. I love the process of selling online via the email back and forth. I love the way that the B2B customer you know, needed the product and the demand for the product was so high. And versus the retail world, you know, seven day world, high inventory cost, high rental cost. To me, it was a no brainer when that flood happened. I did rebuild my store, but we just pivoted completely to the online business and to the business of selling B2B. Um, I think I was kind of, you know, I went to business school. I kind of have a little bit of uh let's call it, my wife calls it a romance with these big corporations. Like I always grew up obsessed with Walmart and obsessed with Coca-Cola and obsessed with Pepsi and, and you know, obviously today Google and Dell and uh, Apple and Microsoft. So 
I always loved companies and I loved big companies and we deal with all size companies, large, medium, and small. Um, but just the whole thing of dealing with a marketing manager at Pepsi was really exciting to me, working on big national programs that, you know, were in the hundreds of thousands of dollars of, of orders. It was just in a very exciting thing. And I love that they, that they appreciated the quality of our design work and our designers got a lot of, uh, fulfillment from that career wise, like they're designing socks for Pepsi and Pepsi's running a national program with our socks and, and that was like that back and forth and that kind of like that trust and that relationship um, and that mutual respect that we have for each other. I, I just really liked it. So I decided to move away from retail completely, uh, which it is, you know, I can talk a lot about that and, and how much I love that as well. But it was time to go. And also for me as a family man, you know, I, at, in the B2B world, I get home at six o'clock. I don't work on, you know, I don't have to work on as much on weekends. So it was also a lifestyle shift for me. To be able to work really, really hard Monday to Friday, nine to five, uh, let's call it nine to six, and uh, and have my nights to spend with my family. So there was a combined factors, and and I think that's the way it's always going to work. It's never going to be one reason. It's always going to be a kind of like a, a a basket of reasons of why you do things. And and in our case, the re those were the reasons: both family life, but also this romance I had with these companies, and also the appreciation. Um, of how the clients were viewing us like a trusted partner. Was it challenging to completely switch to another type of business? So you, you used to running a retail store and running an online business is quite different. It, it was very different. And I was in retail for 10 years and I lived and breathed retail like Black Friday and um, Christmas, you know, the holiday season, I had that down to a science and running pop-up stores all over. And, you know, cause at one point we had six, six, seven stores going at one point. Um, and I knew retail and the signage that was required to bring in customers. And, and it's kind of tough because you learn that whole world and then you got to flip a switch and say, okay, now I'm in a new world and I gotta, I gotta move. But the good thing is that I, what I learned in my career is that uh, the same way that you learned one thing, you can learn another, A. But B, these things cross over. So a lot of the skills that I got from being in retail really helped me in the next business and mainly with people, with my with my employees, like being able to work with them effectively and being able to communicate effectively and being able to build a team that is incredibly passionate about what they're doing. I said to myself, if I can build a team that's passionate about neckties in downtown Toronto, which they were, then they're going to be passionate about selling socks to the United Kingdom or, or in Switzerland or in Denmark or wherever we sell now, United States, Canada, you know? So that's one thing about our team. We're super passionate about what we do. And I think that that passion came from um, originally how passionate I was in the necktie business and transferring that to the new business. Um, so, so that's, there, there were definitely challenges, but um, I feel like your career, what you learn in your career builds on each other and you can apply it to the new uh, new assignment at hand, let's say, you know. If you could go back and give yourself some advice at that moment when you switch to running an online business, what would be some of the things you would tell yourself? Number one, I would tell myself to, well, there's two things I would tell myself. Number one, I would tell myself that you you don't have to put too much pressure on yourself. You have to do what's in the put the pieces in place to grow the business. And then once you've put those pieces in place, give them the 
the space to grow, like some, you know, like air to breathe kind of thing, right? You can't rush it. Everything's going to take time. So in the early days of Socrates, I was very obsessed with getting to certain numbers or getting obsessed to, you know, having, dealing with certain clients. And it was too much. Like you, it was actually too much pressure I put on myself and I put on the business and I put on the other people who were working for me. Um, it's better to just put the pieces in place that you need to put in place, let it breathe and let the business grow as it grows versus trying to put all this pressure. It's just a number that you have in your head at the end of the day. Um, and the business has surpassed all of that now, um, but it's done it by natural growth. Like, you know, I wanted to do, which is call it 300 orders a month, um, but you still have to go through 10, 20, 50, 100. You can't just go to 300. You have to go slowly and steady and get there when you get there, you know? And I noticed that today there's a big movement online and with coaches and business, everybody, you know, scaling. Scaling doesn't mean you have to 10X your business in one month, okay? Like scaling means that you have to apply what's going well in your business and keep doing it for a, a good amount of time. And so it grows in a natural way. Scaling is not a magic word that we throw out there to, you know, so your business just magically overnight becomes a monster business like Microsoft or something, right? It takes time to grow a business. So I feel like sometimes the education out there, I don't remember ever hearing the word scaling in business school 20 years ago, the word scaling is out of control now. Like everybody uses it. Like, you know, my kids are using it at breakfast, you know? So, uh, so it's like, it's not a magical thing that you just throw in a business and it grows. You have to do the pieces that you have to do to grow your business, you know? And sometimes you are not really ready for those 300 a month sales or orders and your business cannot support it. So you actually yeah. trouble even if it happened. If we go back to that time where you just switched online business, what were some of the ways you were getting clients? So we focused at that time five years ago when there were only two or three players in this market. We focused very heavily on having a decent website. It's not it wasn't great. I think it's great today. Uh, but it wasn't great then. Uh, but the standards were different back then. Like 2018, the standards of your website were very different than they are in 2023. Um, nowadays, your website has to be top, top notch to compete. Um, we were focusing on Google ads and just running really, really good targeted ads, telling people all over the world that we're able to produce custom socks. We take care of the design. We take care of the delivery. That was powerful in 2018. Like, wait, you're going to do the delivery and you're going to do the design and you're going to give me one price and deliver it. There's no add-ons. There's no, you know, there's no rush fees. That was kind of innovative at that time. Like one price delivered to your door versus label fee and delivery fee and rush fee and all these different fees. So we were getting a lot of orders because of that basic model. What I like to do when I enter any business is kind of find something a little different than everybody else is doing. You'll notice that there's a lot of players doing the same thing. And everybody's just trying to, you know, eat their piece of the pie. And I'm like, just make something different. So we made an all-in pricing model. You know, that was the one thing we did. And we made it no fees. Like, there's literally no fees. There's nothing you can do to get a fee. So you want the socks in three days and I got to go and call Italy and make all these special arrangements for you? There's no fee for that. What's going to happen is that those customers are going to be really um, feel good about the service that I gave them and they're going to come back. So, you know, I don't need a fee because you keep coming back and that's great. You know, it's going to reoccurring business. Right. Um, so so we did that. Um, and, and the Google ads actually worked really, really well. Um, and it does not work really well today. So we've moved away from Google ads and we focus today on SEO. But in the beginning, 
you know, I always say everybody tries a lot of these different mechanisms to get business. If you if one is going really, really well, try to go as deep as you can into that um, until the until that mechanism pushes back. Um, and we we were getting clients um, from all over the world via Google Ads. And amazingly, five years ago, those clients that we got from Google Ads are now some of our best clients. Like they've stayed with us for five, six years. They were there from the beginning. They know us. They've seen our growth. We, you know, they do, you know, 12 to 15 orders a year with us or more. And they've even sometimes come to us for non-SOC related items, which, you know, we don't love to do. But because we have that relationship, we'll take care of it, you know. Um, so, so that's how we were doing it. Google ads. But again, if somebody did that today, it would be very hard. So you got to find your, you got to find your method of the time, you know, five years ago to today online is like uh eternity, you know? So let's talk about what do you feel is working now in terms of finding customers? So new customers, um, the best way that we find is SEO content production, just having a really, really optimized website where when somebody types in, our keywords are coming up. We're now on the first page of Google. You know, first page of Google is very good um, and obviously something that you need to strive for. Um, another thing where we get a lot of business from is this the current base of referrals. So, you know, if I have 4,500 clients right now, which, which we do around 4,500 corporate clients, and even 1% refer me, that's 45 new clients, right? So... So the math starts to go in your favor and then obviously they reorder. And then, you know, so there's lots of that, but to get new clients today, I do believe that the best way to do it is just content production, you know, LinkedIn content, creating content, obviously going on podcasts and speaking with, with, with podcast hosts and talking to their base about what we do and the value that we provide and why custom socks is important for any business. Um, that's huge. Um, and just, um, just really getting out there the message of what value you provide, uh, through these social channels and sticking to it and, and really trying to get as many eyeballs as you can on your business and, and show your value. Nowadays, you got to show value. It's not as easy as just running an ad and they click you. I don't, I don't think that works anymore so easily, um, now with all the privacy settings and stuff. So you got to show your value and you have to be creative. That's, that's the two things. And what was your experience with SEO? Did you guys immediately found a way to make it work or did you have to test different providers and then eventually found someone externally to help you? Or did you have to figure it out yourself, dedicate time to learn how to do it? In the beginning, SEO was like, it was like this language that we didn't understand, like SEO and what does that even mean? And then we hired an in-house um, SEO professional who took it over. Um, and he kind of explained it to us in a way, me and the number two in the company, in a way that made sense to me. Um, the one thing I could say about SEO, unlike Google Ads, is that you're not going to get immediate results. It's going to take a long time. It's a long game. You got to build your domain authority. You got to build your keywords. You got to move up on Google slowly. And it's frustrating, right? It's like you move up. It's like weight loss, right? You move up two and you move, then the next month you move down one and then they move up three and then you're down. So it's not a set game. You're not just moving up and everything sounds, everything's great. It goes up and down and up and down. You have to give it time and you have to work really hard at it. It's really a full-time gig. Um, but when it works, it's like you own real estate on the web versus renting real estate on the web via Google ads, right? So there's definitely value in it. It's hard to do it well, very hard to do it well. A lot of people are doing it, but you know, I don't think they're doing it that well. Um, it's an art that you have to really, really practice and hone and you're going to get let down a lot. But 
when it works, it's a, it's a very beautiful thing. Uh, there's no better feeling I get when somebody does an order with us and they tell us they found us through Google, um, through natural content, like one of our blogs, or they found us through, um, you know, through an initiative that we did online via for SEO or LinkedIn, LinkedIn post, you know? Um, but yeah, SEO is a long, a long-term game. Uh, can't expect immediate results. Um, but when it works, it's great. And it's something that today, to, it's like, you know, in 2010, you know, if you didn't have a website, you you weren't, a, you were dead, right? Like, it's like who, who in two, even in 2010, if you didn't have a website, then it's like, you didn't really have anything. Nowadays, just having a website's not enough anymore. So you have to have an S, you have to have a website, but you got to put some fuel in the, in the tank there, right? So the fuel is content and SEO. That's the fuel now, because nowadays just having a website, not enough. And uh, having a website with SEO, that's already the starting point. So the standards keep moving higher and higher and higher to, to play in the online game, you know. That is very true. In terms of SEO, could you give any specific advice on how many articles would you recommend to do per month? What is the length of the articles? Any advice on how you guys optimize your articles? Yeah. So we do, we have a, a general strategy um, of four articles a week and 2000 words per article. Now you have to be very consistent with that. That's a lot of work, you know? So, you know, everybody's, everything sounds easy, right? Produce 16 articles a month and 2000 words. Okay. But then go down and go sit down and write those articles. It's, it's a lot of work and a lot of content and you need to source images and you need to have a table of contents and you need to have it all, all, all tagged and all that stuff. So yeah, that's our plan. But the most important thing is that the content that we're writing is actually engaging in some way, you know, otherwise just to have an article up there that, you know, nobody's going to read what that does is it creates a bounce rate. That's very high. Somebody hits the article and then they leave. Uh, our goal is to actually get them to stay and read what we're trying to say um, and then connect through to us through interest based on the article, you know? So if you Googled best holiday gifts for my staff and our article comes up and we actually write a really good article on that, um, then you'd be like, oh, I'm on a sock page. Maybe I should consider socks, you know? So it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a bait and it's like a, it's like a, almost like fishing. Right. So, uh, so that we do four articles, 2000 words. We believe that that is the best approach. Um, but more importantly, if you can't do four articles a week, 2000 words, just stay consistent. So don't do four articles week one and just disappear for two months and then come back and do four articles. Better to do one article a week or something like that and just be consistent with it. Over time, the marginal growth is strong, you know? Sam, and do you do articles yourself or do you have someone who is writing it and you approve it? How do you manage it? We have a full-time SEO growth manager. He writes the articles. Um, he does uh, do that himself. And then he sends it over to our one of our VPs in the company and then they approve it and then they put it up. So there's a process in place checks and balances to make sure that the content going on the web is content that is approved by us. Um, he does a great job and he's very passionate about it. And most importantly, in his role, he's very well organized. So we know today the exact articles that are going to be going up for the next 16 weeks. So every for the next 16 weeks, and then after the 16 weeks, the next 16 weeks. So we know four months out, exactly what article is being published in what day of the week um, for the next 16 weeks. So that's powerful. Very powerful. I'm so glad that you guys found someone who is good at what he does when it comes to SEO, because there are a lot of people who say they know what they're doing, right. but actually 
I think I get, problem. I think I get maybe 10 to 12 emails a day, not a week, a day with somebody who's selling me on the fact that they can get me on the first page of Google, like as if that's like a hamburger they're making me or something. It's very hard in most fields, if not all, any field that it's worth it to be in. It is very, very hard to be on the first page of Google. Anybody's telling you that they're going to get you on the first page of Google as a selling tool, um, I would say that's a red flag because that's not something they can guarantee. And if they can guarantee it, then why don't they open up their own business and get on the first page of Google? Because it's not that, if it was that easy, then everybody would do it, you know? And they also may be using some practices that can lead to Google punishing your business down the road. So that's the worst. So anytime that you're doing anything that could get you blacklisted or punished by Google, that hurts your domain authority, that hurts your business. Again, I was in the retail business, right? So I have a storefront. That's my business. So if somebody came and smashed the glass of the business, I would be in big trouble, right? Because my store can't operate. If you're causing damage to your domain, which is your website, that is the equivalent of the glass smashing and you can't do business. So you have to treat your website like it's the entry point to your business, which is the it's the gold. It's basically the biggest asset that you have. So anybody you're bringing in to do SEO, definitely got to keep a close eye on what they're doing uh, to make sure that they're improving the health of the SEO. You know, it's like a patient in the hospital. You want to improve the health of the SEO. Um, and there's really good tools out there like SEMrush and um, AFH, you know, these other ones also, where they actually monitor uh, the health of your SEO over time. So you can see that it's going up over time and you can see that your domain authority is doing better. And if there's a problem with your SEO, it will tell you exactly where the problem is, whether it's the speed of the site or the keywords aren't, aren't being tagged properly or the pictures aren't being tagged or anything of that, anything like that. It will tell you that so that you can make the changes. The SEO game is very transparent. You know, it will tell you when you're making a mistake. So just stick to the rules and you'll be fine. And from the tools, which tools are you guys currently using? Uh, for the SEO tools, we use primarily SEMrush, um, and we use Rank Math. Rank Math is really great. When you write an article on Rank Math, it will tell you exactly your score out of 100 from an SEO score. And we always aim to be at 100. So, And it will tell you how to get to 100. So you know, use Rank Math, plug it into your site, and write the articles. Press the button that tells you exactly what score you have. If you're at 80, it will tell you how to get to 100. And, and if you do that four times a week for the next year, okay, all of that SEO value is really going to build over time. You know, but if you don't use the rank math and you're coming and your score is coming in at 60, 70, and then you do that four times a week for a year, you're going to be way further back than the person who did the rank math and went to 100. So, you know, follow the rules, use the tools. You know, they're all very affordable tools. These aren't uh, $2,000 a month solutions. These are very cheap, you know, $50 a year, $100 a year. Use the tools, let them guide you, follow, you know, learn on YouTube, go on YouTube, you know, you know, watch some videos on SEO, Rank Math SEO, SEM Rush. watch these YouTube videos and then uh, implement it into your business and, and plan for the long haul. You know, don't, don't plan to see immediate results. You know, oh, I did an SEO article. Where's my business tomorrow? That's not how it works, you know? Absolutely not. You're lucky if it will work at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Feel Just feel lucky if it worked at all at any point in your life. No. Yeah. But, you know, you should work if you have a good strategy. But you're right. It's a big ocean out there. And if you're if you're catching some fish, you're, you're, in, you're in a good shape, you know. 
Sam, and then do you also focus on backlinks or you specifically just focus on content? We do a lot of backlinks, a lot of backlinking. We got into articles uh, online. We get into magazines where they cite us. Um, of course, podcasts are a big backlink source for us. And we also um, do things like guest blogging, which is very good. And just trying to get as much traffic and eyeballs onto our site as possible. Other people citing us as experts in custom socks helps us. Um, and those those partnerships are very valuable. So, you know, you can imagine if I if somebody would get a backlink from CNN, you know, how strong that is. So just think about that. Even if it's not CNN, everybody's valuable in a way, you know. Sam, and what advice would you give on finding SEO professional, but also other team members as someone is building their business? So I think experience is everything. Um, in this game, you need somebody who really worked for a company who was very focused on SEO and not somebody, not a company who just did it passively. Somebody who really focused on SEO and saw real results and they were measurable. So we were on the, four, the, the seventh page of Google in January. And by the next January, we we're on the second page of Google. Okay, you did that. How did you do that? And there was a whole plan how they did that. And if the person in the interview can really map to you how they did that or something to that tune, okay, then you're probably in good hands because they understand what it takes to get from, um, you know, page seven to page two, which is not the only game, but a big part of the game, you know? Um, and again, anybody who's promising you they can get you to page one without even looking into how hard that is, um, there's certain industries where it's just almost impossible, right? Like, you know, big industries that are dominated by huge players. You know, I don't think I'm going to be page one competing with Apple anytime soon, for example, you know? So so anybody could promise you that is it, it's a red flag, but it's more about asking them and finding out the process and the strategy that they would take to get you from... Uh, where you are now to where you want to be, you know? Sam, and what process did you guys use to get applications for that SEO role for which you ultimately hired this person who is currently managing it? So somebody who worked for us had a contact and I, I usually take those very seriously because if you're already part of our team, you know our company, you know what we're all about, you know where we're strong, you know where we're weak, and then you refer somebody they're kind of taking a risk by referring somebody, right? Like if that person isn't is really does damage to our company, the person who referred them, they're not responsible for that, but it's a little bit of a why did you refer them? Right. So so by them taking the chance and referring somebody, that should and I know that they care about us. Um, I'll usually give that a higher priority than anybody else. Um so that is what we did. Somebody referred somebody from their school who had, who does SEO, who had a lot of experience with SEO for a larger company than us. Um, I saw the kind of work that they did in that company. Um, but at the end of the day, you probably, you want to start with trials, you know, maybe a six month trial, make sure that the chemistry is there with somebody that you're working with. Um, and then after that, you know, if the person does go six months and they're doing quite well, it should be that they're going to be with you for a long time. I do not think SEO is going anywhere anytime soon. There are some theories out there that it is, but I don't think it's going to go anytime soon. At the end of the day, whether you call it SEO or Google ads or social media, whatever you call it, it's all about generating traffic to your site, which is like the same problem in a retail store as I had try to get somebody into the store, right? It's all about getting customers to the door, right? So I don't know if 10 years from now or 15 years from now, they're going to call it SEO, 
but they're still going to call it lead generation, right? Because you're not going to be able to take that away from any business, right? So um, the person who's doing the SEO at the end of the day is a lead generator. So when, when we get on a call with him and he's telling me about all these numbers that we got to this page and this page, at the end of the day, how many leads did he generate is the important metric. That's what's important, right? Mm. And if we take it even further, how many of those leads actually bought and became customers? Yeah, exactly. Stay? Yeah, hundred leads that could, that nobody converted on. You know, it doesn't change my life. <laughs> it makes it worse, actually. So, so yeah, how many did they actually buy? What's the result? The result is when revenue is incurred and a client is 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 uh, acquired, right? So that that's true. Sam, and the last question is. What advice would you give to someone who is starting a business and they need to find some employees to help them build the business? That's the hardest part. <laughs> that is the question, right? So you have a great idea and you have an idea of how you want to start it and you need somebody to help you. First of all, to that person, I say congratulations because sometimes it takes people years, okay, to realize that they actually need somebody else to help them do and to help them put their vision together. So the first thing I'm going to tell that person is congratulations because you're already ahead of most people where you know how to delegate and you know that growing a team is the is the most important thing in any business, okay? So that's number one I would tell them. So congratulations. Number two, I would say that the one thing you really have to sell in the beginning when you are bringing on employees is because you're not going to be able to pay the most. Let's be honest. You're, you're not going to be able to pay the most at that point. And that's okay. You have to use that to your advantage. What are you trying to sell people on? Uh, you have to sell people on the vision. You have a vision for a certain type of company that you want to grow. And the company that you want to grow is going to provide for this person a certain lifestyle and a certain uh, a certain career objective. They're going to hit certain things. They can be a manager. They can be a senior manager from the beginning, right? So growing a company from the beginning is very exciting. It's very challenging, but it also has a lot of excitement. So you're going to try to find people who buy into that excitement and who buy, who want that. Somebody who's in a big company, who's established role, who loves that might not love the fact that they're working out of your garage on day one, right? They might not. I mean, they might, but they might not like it. So you have to sell them on the vision of what you're trying to do and that you're going to do it together. And if this person gets in with you on the ground level, then there's going to be, you know, tremendous rewards for them. The the woman who works with me, she's the number two in the company. She came with me from the retail store. Um, me and her, you know, I'm, you know, I'm the founder and CEO of the company, but I look at her like a partner in the company because she came with me from the beginning. You'll never, you'll never ever um, forget the people that were with you in the beginning when you were working at your garage, right? Like those aren't the people. Those are the people that are going to come with you and grow and sell with you and do everything with you, right? And when one day you, if you exit, they're going to be with the, with you at the signing table. I mean, these are the people, right? So. Uh, when you start a company and you're looking for employees, try to sell them on that vision. That's an exciting vision. Some people don't get that in life. And the fact that you're taking somebody else with you on that journey is something that you could really, um, when you find the right person, it's an exciting thing for both of you. And it, you'll bond in a way that you'll never bonded before. You'll also fight in a way that you never fought before. But you'll really be together on this journey. And it's exciting when you start to climb that mountain. Um, the one thing about the mountain, there's no top to the mountain because you could just keep going, right? So uh, the mountain, you keep climbing and it's exciting 
and um, try to sell them on that vision. If you can do that, then you'll find the right person. And if they don't buy into the vision and, they, and they're sticking more to the salary in the beginning and the number, and if you're offering 80,000 and they want 82,000, you know, that might not be the right person. There's nothing wrong with that person, but that person's not seeing the vision that one day this could be a 10, 20, $30 million company where the 2000 at this point is not going to make much of a difference, you know? Thank you, Sam. Any question that you wished I asked you and I didn't? Uh, no, I mean, it was very thorough, definitely. Um, you know, in our company, I think and what we touched on, it's just all about the client journey. And one thing I would say is that um, we talked about SEO and we talked about Google ads. But the one thing that I think that we really uh, focused on, which was strong and how we generated more and more clients was the taking care of the customer when you have them. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but sometimes you buy something, whether it's B2B or even B2C, and after they sell you the product, okay, they're just gone. They're just like, you know, this, oh, what happened? We were dating and now nobody talks to each other anymore, right? So the taking care of the customer in and of itself, I always tell people, is the strongest way to get more business because a they're going to come back and b they're going to tell more people so yeah you're going to put all your money into seo you're going to put money into google ads you're going to put all that time and effort just remember when the client actually comes to the door that's the most important thing take care of that client to the end of the door you know, to, the, to, to the exit of the door and beyond and then you'll run a successful business because the whole loop is there getting the customer to the door getting the customer back to the door after you sell them on, you know, so that they can repeat and they can come back and they can engage with you. So I think that's very important because I, I I do talk about SEO and Google ads quite a bit and it's so important, but that process of taking care of the customer is also very important. Crucially important. I'm so glad you mentioned it. More yeah. companies need to pay attention to that. Where can listeners learn more about you, buy your socks, order it for the next uh, team building event. Yeah. Anything you want to share? Yeah, sure. We make it super simple. You know, you just reach out to us and our team will come back for some logos and colors. From the logos and colors, we'll design for you some uh, sock designs. And from there, you'll pick the sock that you like. And then in seven days, you'll get your socks. Best way to reach out is on our website, Socrates, S-O-C-K-R-A-T-E-S, custom, C-U-S-T-O-M.com. Or of course, you can email me, sam at socratescustom.com. And we reply pretty fast. You know, again, taking care of the customer, we reply very fast. Thank you, Sam. Really appreciate you taking the time to be here with us. And for Thanks. everyone watching and listening, our guests today have been again, Samuel Moses. Thank you. And if you want to strengthen your strategy skills, get the overall approach used in well-managed strategy studies, free download, go to firmsconsulting.com forward slash overall approach. It is F-I-R-M-S consulting.com forward slash overall approach. Take care. And I look forward to connect with you at the next session. Thank you so much. And that's it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed doing the episode. Finally, I want you to remember that the only way to get access to our special offers, the only way to get our special pricing, and the only way to get samples of our content is to join the list on firmsconsulting.com.
It's the only way also to get access to our unique advanced content that we make available to insiders. So if you want to get a sneak peek of things, test it out, see what's in there, this is the place to go. And finally, I want to thank you again for making us one of the largest podcast channels around the world for careers and for the 2 million downloads and counting.